Support for SyncBook Radio comes from listeners like you. Consider helping to make independent productions like SyncBook Radio possible by becoming a donor. Your generous gift helps to keep these unique voices broadcasting and exploring. Details about how you can help can be found at thesyncbook.com slash donate. Thanks. Monkeys are superior to men in this. When a monkey looks into a mirror, he sees a monkey. Malcolm de Hazal. I viewed my fellow man not as a fallen angel, but as a risen ape, Desmond Morris, the naked ape. Any dog will dig if there is something to unbury. Men are beasts. So here's Duncan then, 32 and cobbled together from what he was handed, improved by bottled water and corporate slow pitch, a weekly exfoliating cleanser he stalks in the bathroom cabinet without shame a strong thatch of hair still, blue eyes muffled and comfortable like old shirts that will no longer snap on the line, and nothing in those eyes you'd call dispassionate. For these reasons, or despite these reasons, he cannot bring himself to take the tire iron from his wife. There are eight good seconds, he can count them, in which she stands offering it to him, and he stands looking north where the highway unfurls like a wet tongue toward the house waiting for them in Osterhagen. And he knows he'll always think that Lily has shortchanged him, that given two more seconds, simply nudging the total to ten, he might have made another choice. But the buzzer sounds at eight, and when he looks back at the tire iron, Lily herself brings it down with a batter's crack against the base of the animal's skull. Men are beasts? That was no ordinary hog. Next come the bones. And then there's Lloyd. Keep digging. Hello and good morning. I am William Morgan, and you are listening to 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and TheSyncBook.com. Our weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. You can find us online at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. Speaking of beasts, happy election day. Be sure to make it out to vote today for the lesser of two evils. This morning, we will bring you 42 minutes of couples counseling. But before we meet Duncan and Lily and Nick and Amy for this 157th broadcast, why don't you give us some context, Doug, and introduce today's guest? Thanks, Will. Today's show will take us back to 2012 and all that that means. But first, let's merely rewind to the beginning of this past October. It was then that I read a piece in The New Yorker about the upcoming film adaptation of Gillian Flynn's 2012 novel, Gone Girl, brought to the screen by David Fincher. I was aware of Gone Girl as a thing when it came out and remembered how much of a splash it made, but I was never compelled to investigate, that is, until I read about it in The New Yorker recently. And curiously enough, I was reminded of the book I was reading in 2012, Nancy Morrow's New World Monkeys, published by Crown in 2009. For whatever reason, 2012 was a transitional year. It was a year of endings and change, even for the fictional Nick and Amy. Yet what I needed then was a big, cathartic, humorous, he said, she said story to get lost in for a while. Thank goodness it wasn't Gone Girl. Nonetheless, we're going to talk about both novels today, hopefully digging deep enough to get to the heart of the matter, and we'll do so with the author of New World Monkeys, Nancy Morrow, who received star reviews from Publishers Weekly, Booklist, and Kierkegaard Reviews, 
who called it a brave and accomplished debut, weird, disturbing, and intensely engaging. Miss Morrow has worked as a creative director and copywriter in both Canada and the U.S. and now lives in New York, where she's at work on her second novel. More information about her can be found on her website, nancymorrow.com. Although New World Monkeys came out in 2009, I still think that everyone should go out and buy it and read it, and therefore we're, we're going to discuss it without necessarily spoiling the ending. It's a lot of fun, and you should check it out. However, if you don't want Gone Girl spoiled, you probably should hold off listening to this. Hello, Nancy. How are you today? Thanks for joining Hi, us. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You bet. So uh, how was your 2012? And were you let down that the world didn't end as was predicted? <laughs> 2012 is a bit of a haze. Um, we uh, had a, a baby earlier this year, so everything that uh, everything pre 2014 is just a blur. Oh wow! Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Um, usually we we Great. end our shows by asking synchronicity questions, but I'm feeling like let's just start there. In New World Monkeys, your character Lily is at a point in her life where she's not sure what to do next, and then she bumps into Duncan after a longish period of absence, which she takes as a sign. What's your own relationship to synchronicity coincidence and interpreting the universe's intention? Well, um, I think uh, the idea of making connections has served me well on not only on an artistic level, but on, a, I guess, a more mercenary level. Um, I was in advertising for a long time. And, you know, basically your main goal is to, when you're trying to sell something um, through, through your writing and by being persuasive, you've got to make, you know, make connections for people. So, um, you know, I, I think that's, you, you write a perfect headline or, um, you know, you craft the perfect commercial. It's always... Uh, you're always trying to bring a consumer toward a product um, and create a connection that they either hadn't thought of or that maybe you know doesn't actually exist. But um, um, but if you can sell it, that's that's the way you got to go. So um, yeah, I, I think you know I, I like that idea. I like a, the idea of um, bringing two people together or bringing a you know consumer together with a product. Um, it's it's sort of something that underscores. Synchronicity kind of underscores everything. So it's just kind of the inherent matrix that people kind of operate from. They want a sign. I guess the key is finding it and finding one that they'll, you know, finding the sign that they'll buy. Okay, so then speaking of coincidence and mutual arising, in, you know, mm -hmm. um, what was it like for you when you first experienced Gone Girl? Uh, Gone Girl. There's a lot of interesting similarities to that book and your own book. There are, um, you know, there are similarities between the two books, and um, definitely resonant themes and moment um, moments throughout. I thought, you know, I, that might be a function of the marriage story, which I guess comes with its own set of tropes, if you will, um, you know, resentment, uh, loss of self, all the things that we that we see in, in Gone Girl, and also in um, in New World Monkeys, um, I think you know there are a few things that that struck me. Um, there, the first being the runaway syndrome. I, I like to call it. You know, both New World Monkeys and Gone Girl. And um, uh, speaking of the the book, but 
you know, the book is uh, and the the movie um, are pretty parallel. So, in both, you have a young, childless couple, marriage on the rocks, um, five year wedding anniversary has just passed or is coming up. Their careers are either lackluster or stalled, and they decide to extricate themselves from from New York City. So both books have um, a very similar setup. Um, And I guess in New World Monkeys, it's actually the wife who who wants to leave the city. She wants to clear her head um, and make a decision about her career and marriage, and it's the husband who decides to, to follow her. So when I um, sort of started the book with this idea of the the runaway syndrome, I was trying to explore the idea of what keeps two people together after the sheen wears off, let's say. And sometimes change is really introduced as the fix-all, you know, like a new house or a new town or a baby or a change in pace. So I had uh, my characters um, who are called... Duncan and Lily, I had them give in to this impulse to run away, and they leave the highly charged atmosphere of Manhattan for the what turns out to be the menacing undergrowth of the Hudson Hudson River Valley. And um, you know, it's like in the quasi wilderness that they're actually left without distraction. So once you have characters left without distraction, they're able to see their problems for what they really are. And I think that was true with. Um, you know, both Nick and Amy when they they transplant themselves to Missouri from New York City. And were you married at the time you wrote that? No, because no, it's great how yeah. how you tap into those those married moments where boy you love. That's what my divorced friends have told me. <laughs> you love both of them and you hate both of them at the same mm-hmm. time. It's like oh my gosh, she's so awful and I love her so much. <laughs> Right. Um, well, you know that. Oh, and that brings me to the idea of the the dual narrative, and that was another sort of point of synchronicity with Gone Girl. Um, well, Gone Girl has a dual narrative, uh, but it has that added layer of diary diary narrator who's kind of there to misdirect you and who's necessary to execute the plot twist. New World Monkeys is is also this two-handed narrative. Um, You don't actually ever see the same scene from both points of view um, because I I really think you can show two characters fundamentally misunderstanding one another without having to repeat a scene. But I, you know, when I first wrote this, this book, it was, um, it actually started as a short story. It came to me as a short story. It was, I delivered it as a, uh, I call it a camera close third person view of of this character, Duncan, and his mismanagement of his marriage and his career. Um, and then I decided to blow it out into a novel, and I, I allowed his wife in, and it developed into an equally weighted, dual-handed narrative. And then I really became interested in how and if the reader's allegiance switches between the two. Because, you, you know, it, it's sort of true in life. If you know a couple in trouble, chances are your loyalty. The more information you learn, it sort of guides your loyalty back and forth for a while before you you sort of settle on a side. And in that way, I kind of thought, well, it, it's about the reader. You know, it doesn't matter if, you know, you hate Duncan and Lily or um, whose side you're on or if their situation um, or personalities are kind of far from your own. But 
I, I kind of like this idea of, of your, what's your reaction to them and what does that say about your own moral compass, let's say. Yeah. Okay. And one of the things that you have fun playing with is, is these humans devolving into beasts. It's specifically, men are beasts, which is the tagline of the, like, Duncan kind of goes wild a little bit, going back to nature. And mm-hmm. so let's let's dive into the idea of beasts and by first saying, what is the sovereign of the deep wood? Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> just to give a little background, um, uh, as, the, as the couple are um, driving up, to up the Hudson River Valley for the summer. They're planning on staying in a, um, an old house that belongs to Lily's family. A wild boar leaps in front of their vehicle, uh, in, in front of their very yuppie sob, in fact. So the, the boar is, I guess, mortally wounded, but they need to, to finish him off. And this is um, the the chapter that uh, you read at the beginning, Will. Um, so they're standing in front of, of the vehicle and they have a rather gruesome task in front of them. Um, put this animal out of its misery. Of course, later, when they're in the town, they discover that the sovereign of the deep wood, another name for a wild boar, was the town mascot and that the, the residents intend to seek justice for his death. Yes. <laughs> And with that plot point, you get to play with the idea of gender construction. Mm-hmm. And both both New World Monkeys and Gone Girl play with this. What is it to be a man? What mm-hmm. is it to be a woman? You know. Right. What is it to be emasculated? Um, and what is marriage? Like, what is... So in a lot of the reviews I read about Gone Girl, specifically towards the book, you know, this is one idea is maybe marriage is not tenable or, you know, so these are thoughts that are being explored. You know, what is the role of a man? What are, what are your, mm-hmm. what's going um, on, you, you leaving your wife, brother? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, the idea of marriage, it, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, I think in both books, what really interested me is that um, both husband and wife kind of keep a running tally of rights and wrongs. I definitely I want to talk about the the emasculated man, but there's this this idea of um, you know at at what point do you start or do you ever start keeping this tally of of rights and wrongs, wrongs that men and women you know inflict upon one another during the just the everyday course of marriage misunderstandings underscore relationships and but even these unintentional wrongs have to be paid back in kind so in that respect gone girl actually comes even if it's hyperbolic it actually comes out of a a, a real place um i i found um when i was uh yeah i'm generally for some reason exploring the idea of masculinity in my in my writing uh even in my new work right now but um in new world monkeys um duncan believes he's emasculated and the the first the paragraph that you read 
is really where I tried to establish the tension in this marriage because they're standing in front of this, you know, squealing, bleeding, dying pig. Um, someone, you know, they've got the crowbar in hand and someone's got to put it out of its misery. But it's Duncan who can't quite bring himself to do it and it's Lily who, who you know, who steps in and finishes him off. So he has remorse from that point on because he just sees his manhood wither away. And he's always thinking if he had been the one to just kill it, you know, the rest of the book basically wouldn't, wouldn't have happened. Um, so it's a, you know, a bit, uh, a little bit more, I'd say light hearted <laughs> fun. Um, I think the situation in, in Gone Girl is, it, you know, it's built as a, a slow, slow resentment. Um, and we come to understand that, um, that the relationship has been falling apart over, over time. Here's a fun coincidence, or I'm sure it's not a coincidence. In the, in the film version of David Fincher's version, he has Nick's mistress played by the actress who was in the Blurred Lines video. Are you right. familiar with that? Yes, I think I've seen it. And speaking of beasts, we have... He says with no uncertain amount of distaste. Right, and so it just seems like that was kind of some interesting intentional thing that he did. Have you ever read the book Sex at Dawn? It was popular a few years ago. No, I no. Yeah, because in that book, the author creates this fairly compelling argument for how monogamy doesn't make sense for humans. But (laughs) within that comes kind of this weird... Also, naked ape creepiness, where you can see his own fetishes projected on his scientific uh-huh. theory. Right. Yeah. I well, I love the idea of the you know of the beast, um, and the idea that we sometimes have to regress in order to to start over. Um, well, I when I was writing um, this book, I I kind of kept thinking. That, you know the the grunting hairy beast is essential to this book. It's it's really this this base state. Um, so kind of like alluding to to wildlife throughout the you know the, the couple starts off as um, this evolved. They're, they're monkeys in the trees. So if you look at the title, New World Monkeys. Um, New World monkeys are monkeys of the Western Hemisphere, right? They're mostly arboreal. They spend their entire lives in the trees. And so I really thought, um, oh, well, that's how Duncan and Lily, um, that's how they are when we meet them. They're entitled, they're evolved, they're successful, they're rank above their peers, up in position of advantage, whatever. But they're at a great disadvantage up there because what they don't see any longer is that quality that drew them together in the first place, and that's humility, lust, all that all the stuff that's sort of intellectual and um, and driven by the gut. Uh, so when you start off elevated to come down, you you know you generally create an inverse character arc. So um, these aren't really two people who become better citizens. Um, just like in Gone Girl, right? These aren't people who learn to be tolerant. Or mild-mannered, or they don't—we don't come out as balanced grown-ups. And I think that's way more interesting. Um, you know, I, certainly there needs to be a strong sense of satisfaction for the reader, but I wanted to see if it could come through 
a socially unacceptable path. Um, and the characters, what they do is maddening, but in a way always real. Uh, and, and it's kind of like the only chance they have to succeed is to not take the steadfast, secure route to just sort of you know slip down the, the rabbit hole instead. In Gone Girl, I'm, I'm moving into the uh, misogyny now. Um, she's exploring this idea of the cool girl, which is kind of like misogyny light. Where and in Gone Girl, both the characters, one of the problems they have are they they're playing these roles. You know what's mm-hmm. expected of them. Where she right. she wants to be that cool girl that can eat everything and not be anything more than a size two, but then also is into all the things that he's into, which is, you know, like the adolescent fantasy stuff about having a a girlfriend who likes comic books and and playing Halo or, you know, whatever. Right, who'll vacuum around, (laughs) who'll vacuum up your nacho crumbs as you watch football. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I would like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but those things, you know, the idea of identity is it... So, let's say that this boar is a symbol of the patriarchy, say. Let's just say that and that she kills the boar. How what are you what are your thoughts about the world as it is right now with so many strange things? This was a bizarre summer. There was a men's right conference. Mhm. Mhm. And we've got Gamergate and Anita Sarkeesian. And you know, feminism is still a dirty word for a lot of people. They're unwilling to think. I would, I would point out certain uh, – just just to help you out here, Douglas. I mean I would point out certain patterns in the media right now. Marvel just unleashed the date for the first super, he, uh, super female, um, I guess you could call it, for, but – uh, Miss Marvel, I think, just was scheduled and slotted to be made as a movie. Mm-hmm. Also, you have Frozen being one of the biggest box office hits mm-hmm. this year, and huge. There's Elsa's all over uh, the Halloween, you know, outside our houses during Halloween and everything. I mean, there's a giant leap for for strong female characters right now. It's something I can't help but see. Well, this might be my conjecture. Do you think that what we're seeing is the last gasps? Of the patriarchy. Ah, the last gasp of the patriarchy. Well, I think, um, I mean, Gone Girl takes place during the economic downturn, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And um, um, and that's definitely, um, you know, something that, that spurs them on to the next stage of their, of their lives together. So I think, you know, I, I feel kind of like, the characters are operating at a time when there's, there's no room for indulgence. So basically they have to put their strongest face forward. So whether that, you know, whether she's, and, you know, and both female characters sort of step up to the plate in both, in both books. Um, Whereas the male characters um, wither a little bit. The, the female seems to be the um, not necessarily steadfast or um, or the good character, but definitely the you know the the character who's ready when 
when the situation is primed to be overthrown. So she's standing there, she's, uh, you know, crowbar in hand or, um, and she's ready to go forward. But I kind of feel that, um, you know, you're talking about marriage and, um, just basically how marriage is, is kind of, kind of like a mirror. You're talking about how, uh, Nick wanted her, Amy, to be, the um you know the the perfect cool girl uh, and I, I kind of i like that idea because it's really saying nothing about amy and it's saying everything about nick so you know marriage is is a bit like a mirror in that respect um so i think this this slide um towards um you know like patriarchy dying away it, it may be dying away but it's it's happening slowly um in Near Old Monkeys, I have Duncan is really obsessed with his choice of mate. And I think this is true uh, in Gone Girl as well. Like Amy, Lily is you know, she's smart, she's rich, she's educated, she's worldly. And in both books, the wife sort of makes up for 99% of the husband's frustration and 99% of his pride. You know, those two things are inextricably linked. There's um, a chapter near the beginning of New World Monkeys where Duncan realizes his wife has sprouted a mustache. And again, this is like one of these <laughs> sort of, you know, disturbing events. Um, you know, he's shocked. Uh, he's shocked because he's shallow and vain, but also because he's never noticed it before. And, you know, his feeling is, well, you know, what does this say about me? You know, his choice of a mate comes into question, but always through the filter of, you know, what does it say about me? What is, you know, how does she regard me to let this, to let this happen to her? So, you know, I, the idea of there's this insecurity in um, not just, you know, we're already insecure as individuals, but then um, as part of a union, that insecurity is just totally amplified. In Gone Girl, um, I think Nick says, you know, who would I be without Amy to react to yeah. because she was right as a man I had been my most impressive when I loved her so um, Doug you said something uh, you talked about how none of these characters are their true selves with each other and that's kind of like um, that's kind of like how a house is built on on totally shaky foundation right you have a husband and wife that both share this flaw they're, they're men and women doing cartwheels to impress one another but Imagine trying to be perfect every day forever just, you know, to keep from getting dumped. And then Nick is so worried about being perceived as not a nice guy, and that's really exploited. Right. And that, So, you know, the film does such a nice job. We're supposed to hate him, and it's a slow build. I, I really appreciated Ben Affleck and the film. Did you, um, did you hate him, and at what point do you stop hating him? if you stopped hating him? Well, I think, I mean, I, I spoiled it before I saw it, so I had a sense that, that it was not, I didn't know the actual plot twist, but I knew, I knew that he wasn't the bad guy, even though he sure looked like the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But then I, I, I'm able to not necessarily, I like both the interactions, and so I feel, I mean, it was it's so weird, when she was being robbed, where after Amy had, you know, made her escape and she's got all this money and she's, you know, hiding out. 
when when the the Ozark thugs steal all their money, mm-hmm. I felt bad for her as a as a human. It's like, oh, that's so, so did sad. I. <laughs> I thought that, I thought it was brilliant that I actually felt, you know, I felt sorry for her, and I I didn't want them to get away with uh, with a theft. No, but then at the end, did you see the film? I did. Yeah. Okay, I thought the characters became almost allegorical because they were too symbolic. I didn't know if I could believe in them as people anymore. I, I thought there was some kind of economic story with with Amy being this kind of New York capitalism and Nick as Midwestern uh-huh. values, and then you have Desi as Eastern money. Yeah, right. I, I know exactly what you're saying about the end, and we've agreed to spoil the movie, right? Yeah. That, okay. Um well, there's a, you know, there's a switch that I felt, and, and it's almost like the film, let's talk about the, as the film right now, the film switched genre toward the end. Um, it became a, like a film noir. It was a thriller, and then it suddenly became this stylized film noir. And, you know, we find out first that um, the real Amy, the sociopath Amy, is writing the fake diary. Uh, and we realize that she's, She's no victim, and we see all the, you know, the deep machinations that went into into her plot. Uh, and you start thinking, oh, you, ha-, you know, you, I kept thinking you have to wake up pretty early in the morning to pull one over on that Amy. And that's sort of when my allegiance shifts um, back to uh, back to Nick. And then we see this this sort of film noir Amy. Um, who's staging a a fake abduction, a fake rape, and then she commits a very real murder uh, in order, you know, to to meet her end goal. And um, so that, I mean, that happened in the book, and the movie echoes this switch perfectly by sort of um, changing changing genres. Uh, Amy is a, you know, the sociopath. You're right. She she kind of becomes, um, not a caricature, but sort of like a bit of a, a stock villainess, um, and then Nick becomes kind of like a fly in the web. And I was thinking of that movie, um, Fred Fred McMurray's character in Double Indemnity. He's kind of like this blinded um, accomplice. He's he's willing, but he's also you know, he he hadn't really grasped his entire situation. So he's the sort of blind accomplice to the to the femme fatale. So I guess the you know the question is, do you buy that switch? Do you buy the you know okay, this is a thriller. I'm following. I'm believing in this character and that character, and then suddenly it becomes a bit of a you know a stylized a stylized film with a super stylized ending. One of the thoughts that I had two is how gruesome that murder really was on the screen and what the yeah. difference between when you read something and then when you translate it to the screen what how that changes it that makes it more immediate and more real so i wonder when you wrote the boar killing scene did you did you imagine all the the goriness of of the the moment or was it more of I think it was the action that the woman takes that the that the female character takes 
uh, I imagined, I sort of imagined the scene going down, um, you know, as, as she's bringing the tire iron on the back of the, of the pig's head. Um, and, and, you know, and then we kind of cut, cut to black. So in that case, the actual gore of the situation isn't as important as the, you know, as the character's action, whereas definitely in Gone Girl, when she pulls out the box cutter, um, some uh, some critics have said it's like the superb singular act of you know of of gore or violence. Um, uh, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I see why it's necessary plot wise, but I kind of felt that um, that the Desi character in itself was um, you know it, it felt a little. Deus ex machina, I think, and just sort of kind of came in, saved her, and then, um, you know, and then she she dispatched him so that she could uh, get back and fulfill her role. So um, I, I see why they really played it up on, on you know, on screen, however. Hmm. But in a scene like when Duncan and Lily are having this almost warm minute, they're reconnecting. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he spanks her on the ass. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I could see that on the screen. You know, I could see the, the finger marks and everything. Did you imagine that in full detail? Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I remember when I was, when, I think it, I was writing it uh, as, when it was a short story, that scene was, was the, um, you know, the, the first act turning point, this sudden act of violence that's also, you know, extremely sexual. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely visualized it. Um, and it's one of the, you know, I think it comes early enough that um, it it's designed to make the reader feel um, that there's still a physical relationship between them or that the possibility of physicality still exists between them. Um, and, uh, you know, because it, it, when we meet them, we have this feeling that it's been months since they've, um, you know, that since they've touched perhaps. So it was important to sort of seed these moments of n- near misses, I guess, um, whether they're, you know, violent or not throughout, um, throughout the book. Um, because, you know, the, that absence of physicality and touch can really become frustrating um, if, if it just, just goes on too long, I guess. The one other really creepy element that I, I think I actually appreciated the most was the character of Lloyd. Ah, yes, Lloyd. So Lloyd is great <laughs> on paper until right. Lloyd actually, his agency is... <sighs> manifested I you know so like definitely I see the fun of Lloyd as this metaphor for what the writer does to look at these to have access to the spaces that no one has access to when people are actually their truest selves talking about you know like the idea of identity Lloyd and Lily go out and try and find the the truth of the matter but Mm -hmm. then Lloyd still is Lloyd. Could you tell us a little bit about right. Lloyd? Mm, Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, Lloyd was actually uh, was so fun to write. 
so he is a peeping Tom. Um, he's uh, a pervert who isn't quite satisfied with his um, chosen genre of perversion. So Lily meets him in the in the town library where she's supposed to be working on on her dissertation, and she finds him. Um, can we say perving on the schoolgirls that also uh, frequent the the town library? So, um, you know, he as a kid, if we just sort of pull him out of the situation, you know, he struggles with the same professional insecurity that Duncan and Lily do, and that's the need to be really good at something. But he, it's it's because I think he's he's funny. He gets away with it, or we get away with with reading about him without sort of like you know pushing the book aside and being sick to our stomach. Um, so I created Lloyd because he Lily needed a um, a partner uh, to get her through her days uh, that you know she spends uh, alone um, while Duncan's at work, um, and. I guess his influence and friendship is is really essential to her development. He lulls her into this into this intellectual ease, and then he performs kind of the proverbial bitch slap. So um, she thinks, you know, this this guy's he's funny. I'm hanging around with him, um, but then you know she'll catch him um, doing something, um, and and she remembers that you know now this this is kind of a, you know, this is a dangerous criminal in a way. Um, but uh, you know his shocking behave, behavior kind of um, helps because it illuminates um, her own conservatism, I guess, um, or you know her own her own sh- shortcomings, I guess. And he's got this ability to surprise her. So you know, at the end, she toward the end, um, uh, at, definitely past the the middle section of the book, she catches him in you know a pretty intense um, um, uh, assault situation and um, you know it's the last time uh, that she'll see him and she's she is sickened she's definitely sickened by him and she you know she realizes um, you know where she's I guess where she's been led throughout the summer um, but as a, a writer, he was, you know, he was wonderful because, as you say, you know, he, he allows us to explore all these. Um, he's he's her devil's advocate, and he allows us to explore the dark side of human nature, which is what this book is really about. All right, well, we're winding down. I'm curious, as someone who worked in advertising, what are your and on the beast theme, how do you feel about Don Draper? <laughs> I have okay. I have this theory that Don Draper is actually dead, and that he died two seasons oh, no. ago. Oh, no. Right, and it's um, it's one of those. It's like the Last Temptation of Christ moment, where like the whole thing is, um, the the, the this last season coming up um, is is all just a figment of his imagination in that moment before death. He he died in a plane crash over that lost island then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of my favorites, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not up to date with the, the latest season, so I don't I don't know. Um I, I read an now interview that from... you've melted everyone's brain. <laughs> yeah, you certainly did. <laughs> I read an interview from about a year ago. You were speaking about your latest book, 
about mm. a donut. How is that coming along? Can we expect oh, that sometime soon? It's um, Well, so far it's slated for release uh, in Canada with Random House Canada um, in 2016. Uh, I am still working on it. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, I mean, it's a wonderful story. It's an evolving story. It's, um, it's about a family that uh, invents donut, um, but they'd never call it a donut. They get offended if anyone calls it a donut. It's a pastry. Um, it's the story of two Italian brothers, and they, they struggle over the secret recipe for, for uh, a pastry, and the struggle takes them from depressed post-war Italy to um, a, a remote town in northern Canada. And um, it's actually, the book is actually based on the experiences of, of my family. They're Italian immigrants, and they bought a bakery in, um, in uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario. Um, and with this bakery, they inherited a pink pastry, a pink donut called the Persian. So um, my working title for the novel right now is The Persian Brothers. All right. That was 42, wasn't it, Douglas? We're, yep. Let's call it. We're calling it. That was 42 minutes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you. You bet. Go ahead and take us out, Douglas. Okay. You've been listening to Nancy Morrow on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com. You can find more information about her work at nancymorrow.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, to check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. If you like the podcast, please support it by becoming a donor. You'll find the donation links under each episode, episode on the website, and consider setting up a monthly charge. Thanks so much, and I don't have anything else to add. I just want to make sure that I had the last word.
Another night 